Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. We started a few weeks back talking about road trip. I, I love to go on road trips. There's something about just getting out there and going down the road. How, anybody like that with me? Who like? Okay, it's just kind of cool, right? Something different. You're going somewhere. And, and uh, my wife and I get in the car and just go and go and go. And uh, it's really cool. But as I think about it over the years, road trips for me usually meant vacation. Vacation time. And for our family, uh, one of the things that we have been able to enjoy over the years is we have a timeshare up in the Plymouth, New Hampshire area. Had for many years. Actually, uh, all of our older children now have units the same week, so it's kind of like a big family reunion. But over the years, there's been something that we have repeatedly done on every vacation. And that's that we have gone to the fun spot in Weirs Beach, New Hampshire. How many know what the fun spot is? Oh, yeah, quite a few. But good. It's probably, I think they bill it as the world's largest arcade of old video games. Okay, and so we go there and play those games. One, one night while we're on vacation, we always get there. Now, I'm going to give you a piece of trivia. I don't know what it'll be worth anywhere, but my wife is really good at Pac-Man. <laughs> I just get so frustrated trying to play Pac-Man. <laughs> but she's good at it. And, and then uh, my son Jonathan is an expert at air hockey. I try to play him in air hockey. And he just whips me. Okay? Now Amber... She's an expert at, I don't even know what you call it, but this machine with the lights go up and down and you try to stop the light at just the right place and she stops it and wins hundreds and hundreds of tickets. Well, then somebody gave you the tickets and it looked like you won. <laughs> okay. And me, I don't know if I can say I'm an expert at it, but it ends up, what I end up doing, usually because the grandkids are I become the expert at whack-a-mole. You guys know what whack-a-mole is, right? Yeah, show the video there if you would. Oh, you've got to make sure the sound is on there. Turn it, a short little video, you get it, right? I mean, why in the world do we want to do that? <laughs> it's all tense by the time you're done, you know? But as, as I was thinking about this sermon this week and the things we've been looking at in the Word of God, we've been talking about this contrast from Philippians chapter 3 of being in the flesh and, and living after the flesh. And remember we said flesh, if some of you may be new to us here today, flesh, we normally think of as being our flesh and bones, you know, skin, body. And it does mean that sometimes in the Bible, but very often it means something different. It means ourselves acting independently of God. Us doing our own thing would make sense to us instead of what's aligned with the Word of God, uh, not following the Spirit of God. And so we've uh, consistently over this uh, sermon series used this side of the stage to acknowledge that. And, and we're saying we want to move from, turn from this and move toward continually growing in our knowledge of Christ and allowing Him to change our lives and glorifying Him and making all the difference. But I mentioned to you one of those Sundays that it seems like every time that I make this decision to say, right, what am I doing in the flesh? What am I doing in the flesh? I don't want to be here. And, and I turn to, to move away 
Flesh doesn't like to let go. Have you noticed that? Flesh does not like to let go. And so it made me think of whack-a-mole because every time it seems like I say, okay, I'm going to turn this way, another thing pops its head up that you have to turn around and deal with, say no to, and, turn, you know, and, and keep turning toward Christ. And so it, it doesn't let up. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand about this whole flesh and knowing Christ difference here is that you, you can make tremendous progress in this. You can make tremendous progress. You can be consistently, more and more often, faithfully, growing in your knowledge of Christ and walking in the Spirit and allowing the Lord to, to be the Lord of your life. Uh, but here's the thing. It, because this picture, flesh here, Christ there, is really probably not accurate as we live this life. It's been accurate for helping us understand what we're talking about. But the reality is, and I think I said this last week, it's more about direction than it is about position. You with me on that? Okay, imagine, let's just step back and think of a story. Let's just say you go out for a walk on a winter day. Looks nice outside, uh, but you walk and you start to walk one way down the street and say, wow, and this cold wind is blowing in your face. You said, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. So you turn around and walk the other way, and you walk uh, you maybe 100 yards, and you say, surely I'm away from the wind now, and you turn around, and what's happened? Boom, the wind's right in your face. You say, wait a minute, I'm going to go farther, and you go farther, and maybe you go a mile, and you turn, surely now, and you turn around, and the wind is still hitting you in the face. You go three miles, you turn around, probably what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The wind's going to hit you in the face. And so that's the way it is with our lives here, as long as we're here on earth. The reality is we're either moving toward knowing Christ, letting, you know, walking in the Spirit, letting Him have His way in our lives, or we are in the flesh. Actually, not in the flesh, but living as though we're in the flesh, walking according to the flesh. And so it's always there, isn't it? It's always there. And because of that, sometimes we get tired, don't we? You ever get tired of it? I don't mean tired of God, I mean, but just find yourself worn down. And how many times in your life have you said, you, whether you've had this consciously the way we've talked about, but how many in your, times in your life you said, I'm turning away from this and I'm turning toward the Lord and I'm going to walk with the Lord now and let the Spirit control me? How many times have you done that and then at some point in time all of a sudden found yourself, what am I doing here? Back, you know, and walking like you're in the flesh. What, how do we do this? And so... We've talked about setting out on this road trip. And we looked in Philippians chapter 3 about it, and we see the first eight verses. Paul talks about the flesh, and it doesn't matter how good it looks, he tells us that it is rubbish, that it's sewage, it's garbage. It's, it's not something that you want in your life. It's not going to ever do anything of eternal value to you. And then the set, so that's what we talk about. This is where we want to be coming from on our road trip, right? We want to, be, that, we want to see that in the rearview mirror. And then the, the next set of verses talked about Christ, knowing him, and, and how excellent that is, how far above that is, anything else you can experience in life. And this is where we get this idea, you're on a road trip to a life you'll be thrilled to live, because when your life is filled with Christ and about Christ and the Spirit of God is moving you along, wow, there's nothing better. And then last week... Uh, we looked in and said, well, how can we do this? How can we have this kind of life instead of this fleshly kind of life? And we saw that there has to be this one 
You have to have one main focus in life, and that has to be knowing Christ. It has to be pressing on, continually pursuing this. All right, and so all well and good. And here we are, though, day, the next day, the next week, the next month. And where we find ourselves. Now, wait a minute, what am I doing back over here? I've turned back into the wind. What's going on here? And, and the reality is, I mean, how many times have you started a diet? A lot, haven't you? How many times have you said, I'm going to do things differently in this relationship? And you, you didn't. The struggle always comes for us, not so much in deciding to do something, but in actually being able to keep doing it. And so today, in our passage of Scripture here in Philippians, we want to give some thought to that. How are we going to be able to keep going? How are we going to be able to keep moving in the right direction? So let's turn to the book of Philippians. Chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we'd really encourage you to take the Bible that's in the pew there and turn to page 1351 and follow along with us. Page 1351. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse number 17. He says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So follow my example, follow others who are also living this way, who are also examples like me that you can follow. For many walk... And what's the word walk often mean in our New Testament when we read it? How you live your life. He's talking about how you live your life here. He says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, this isn't in my notes, but can I just, I'm just going to pause and say something to you. This, this so needs to inform us as Christians and how we interact with things in life. You know, there are enemies of the cross of Christ in our world, right? It shows up regularly. Sometimes it shows up very publicly. But we as Christians need to adopt Paul's approach to this, to say, yes, that's wrong. Yes, they are enemies of Christ, but how is he saying it? What? Weeping. When we Christians become hard and have a critical attitude, it really does not communicate who God is, who Christ is. Yeah, we need to say the truth, but we need to be so, we need to be sad for those people, not angry at them. All right, let's get back off my sidetrack here. He says, but that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And that phrase is going to be significant for us here. And he says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. In other words, their appetites, their natural desires. And whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. 
according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, this isn't going to be so much about how do we keep going, but I want you to see this and understand this. That this struggle we have here in this life with always, remember, turn away from the flesh, moving towards Christ, that one day it's going to be over. And God's going to change us. And he's able to do it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. The Apostle Paul here, this is really summarizes this whole chapter and in this particular, this last, last passage that we just read. He's really saying this when he says, so stand fast. This idea of stand fast means stationary, stationary, fixed. It also communicates the idea of persevering, sticking with it, okay? And so Paul says, he's talking about putting yourself in knowing Christ, and I'm staying here, and I'm persevering at staying here with Christ. And really he says, so stand fast. In other words, the way, this is how, what I've just told you is how you're going to be able to do this. So the question is, how, how can we keep going? Well, Paul has told us in this passage something, one thing in particular, that is crucial for us to be able to keep going. So let's, let's go back here and, and be, work our way back through this passage. Let's go back and look at verse 17 again. He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Pretty simple, isn't it? Find some people who are good examples that you can follow. When it comes to this turning away from the flesh and, and, and saying, wow, that's detrimental to me, that's damaging, I don't want it, I, I want to know Christ. Find someone who is doing that consistently, consistently living it out. You can see it. And where are you going to find this person? Well, look to your church family. God has given you a church family to find these examples in. And so when you, you do that, you, you get, the more connected you get with your church, the more likely you are to find a really good example to follow. And let me just be really frank here with you today. Um, we're not all good examples to follow. Now we can be wonderful Christians. We can be fellow travelers, but not everyone is a great example to follow. Because sometimes people are, you know, struggling with the same things, or, or worse. And so really just what you see here on Sunday morning, I mean, how many of you come, came in today with a goal? I'm gonna let everybody know how dirty, rotten, nasty I really am today. <laughs> you didn't, right? Didn't we all come and put on our best face? And we're not trying to lie. This is who we, we want to be and sometimes are. I mean, it's, but so the only way you're really going to be able to know that you found an example is when you get your life intertwined with the church family. Not just showing up for an hour on Sunday morning. It's never, you're never going to find that example or know that you have. So you've got to get your life intertwined with the church family. You've got to be meeting together, studying the word of God together, praying together, serving God together. Sometimes just getting together and have fun and fellowship, getting to know somebody better, uh, witnessing together, trying to reach the world for Christ. These, these, all these things, and you, you have to intertwine your life with your church. And when you do, you will be able to, to identify 
people who are doing a good job of consistently turning from the flesh to knowing Christ. And so Paul says, find a good example. And it's here in the church that you're going to find those examples. Let's read on. Verse 18 and 19 again. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, when um, Bible uh, scholars try to figure out who is Paul talking about here, it seems to me uh, that the general uh, perception, and what I agree with, is that these are people, for the most part, who would claim to be believers in Christ. People who say they are followers of Christ, but their lives show otherwise. How they live says, it ain't so. And he describes these people for us. And he describes them as enemies of the cross of Christ. What's, what's that about? Well, what does the cross of Christ tell us? I mean, if you think about the cross of Christ, and, and we think, you know, well, you can't see it behind it, but there's a nice cross, a nice-looking cross. That's not what the cross of Christ is about. The cross of Christ, the cross was a horrific form of capital punishment. A terrible form. It was despised and hated by people. And so the fact that God sent his son and had him die on that cross, a horrific, terrible death, tells me something about me. And it should tell you something about you. What do you like apart from God? What do you like apart from Christ's work in your life? The Bible says you don't love God, you don't love righteousness, you only love yourself, you're going to do things your own way, no matter who gets hurt, and God doesn't do something, you'll never even want to get it right. That's you apart from Christ. That's me apart from Christ. And so what it does is this idea, the message of the cross of Christ, confronts me. It confronts me with who I am. It confronts me with the fact that, that here in the flesh, that in my natural way of living, my, my independence from God, my doing my own thing in life, that that is ugly. And that it is, is ruinous. And that it will lead me to destruction. If I don't come to Christ as Savior, I'm going to... It's so bad I'm going to pay for those sins forever in hell. That's what the message of the cross tells me. And as a Christian, so when we come to Jesus Christ and we understand that, wow, on my own, you know, I, apart from God, I am all these things. I am lost. I'm guilty before God. I need a Savior. And then we come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins, rising again from the dead, and then we, at some point, have trusted Christ as Savior. And he forgives all of these things. But the cross of Christ still reminds me that that's where I am, apart from his working in my life. And if I don't pay attention, that's how I'm going to live again. And so it continually tells me, don't go your own way. Your own way is ruinous. Your own way is destructive. Don't go that way. 
Focus on knowing me. And we're getting back into other sermons, so I'll stop there. But the message of the cross of Christ tells us that. Well, these people are enemies of that message. And so what are they saying? No, 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 no. It's not that bad. You're not that bad. Don't worry about it. It's, it's kind of an anything-goes approach to life. God, as one of my students reminded me recently, you know, that so many people think, well, God is love. And is God love? He's absolutely love. But you've got to understand, there's no context for that love unless he's also just and holy, who will judge sin, who will judge sin and has judged sin in his only son. But so they're enemies of that message. No, 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 we don't need, we're, we're okay. You know, if they're being real religious, God is love. We don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. And so Paul here tells us how you can recognize someone like this who is a bad example, one you don't want to follow. That is his belly, his personal appetites and desires determine for him what's right and wrong. If I desire it, it's okay, and if I don't, it's not. He openly speaks of his sinful activities without batting an eye. He says, I'm going out partying tonight. I'm going to get really drunk, you know, with my friends. Or I'm going to, I'm going to hook up with someone really hot or whatever. And he uses bad language. He curses and then he thinks it's cool, thinks it's funny. You know anybody like that? Who uses language that's just really profane and then laugh about it? By the way... You make the move from most PG to PG-13 movies, and that's one of the marks of most of them. Ha, 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 ha. And it's all out in the open without any sense of shame. No shame at all. And then the Lord led Paul to say something that we need to understand here about this. Look back in your Bible there in verse number 19. This is really key in getting down to what we want to see here today. And by the way, uh, older children in here and teens. What we're going to talk about here over the next few minutes is really, really so valuable for you to understand and get a hold of. It is for all us adults too. But you're young and you have so much more of your life to live out. But he says this at the end of the verse 19. He, he's described what they're like and he says this. Who set their mind on earthly things. They set their mind on earthly things, and what is the result? If this is our picture of flesh and living separate from God and independent and it's ugly and gross and sewage and rotten and it's never you know, going to do anything of eternal value, he says, these people have set their mind on these earthly things. And that's why they are the way they are. That's why they live the way they live and so I'm telling you, who set their mind on earthly things is big, it is huge, because it, it's going to provide us with an understanding of a powerful principle for determining why people will live that way, and including ourselves. Why do we find ourselves back over here when it isn't really where we want to be? So let's look at the statement again here, and we'll talk about the principle. Set your mind. He says, who set their mind. This comes from one Greek word, which means to be disposed toward. To, to pay attention to, to be interested in. Ooh, I want to see, I want to know, I want to experience. That's what they've done. 
They set their mind on these things. He says on earthly things. That means of this world, worldly, physically or morally, earthly things, the temporal things as opposed to eternal, 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 that's a new word, okay? Paying attention to the physical as opposed to spiritual. Flesh as opposed to Christ. And they've devoted their minds and lives to these things. And really what it is, they've devoted their minds and lives to this life and this life alone. They don't get it or they don't care, this world. And so we come to a principle here. And this is the principle. What you set your mind on is what you'll build your life on. What you set your mind on is what you'll build your life on. Can you read that with me? What you set your mind on is what you'll build your life on. Now you think you can remember that one? Let's say it one more time. What you set your mind on is what you will build your life on. Okay? And there's more to it. Because what you build your life on today matters forever. All right? What you build your life on the day matters forever because what you do today has eternal ramifications for good or bad. And so if you think, if you set your mind on money, if you think money is the most important thing, you know what? All you're going to do is you're going to be worried about making it, saving it, investing it, spending it, get more of it. You're going to be driven by it. If you set your mind on power, you think that's the most important thing in life. You'll be forever walking all over other people who get in the way. You'll view other people as threats. You'll lie, cheat, and steal to get one up on the people around you. You'll be consumed by it. If you set your mind on sex and you think that that is the most important thing, you will, I don't even need to go there, do I? I mean, we, we laugh because it's a little uncomfortable, but it's really not funny, though, is it? What it does in people's lives. They become obsessed with it. If you think that partying with the alcohol and drugs is the most important thing and you set your mind on it, you will destroy yourself with unhealthy practices and maybe destroy some other people along the way. You'll drown in it. Well, let's say, let's go something a little nicer. If you think your hobby is the most important thing and, and you set your mind on it, you're going to waste your life doing trivial things that will be burned up and lost at the judgment seat of Christ. You will be overwhelmed with regret. And so on and on it goes. What are you setting your mind on? It's so important because what you set your mind on is what you'll build your life on. And what you build your life on today matters forever. Well, that sounds like a principle that's bad here, doesn't it? That's what Paul's talking about, bad stuff. Doesn't it work for good? Yeah, in fact, that's what Paul turns the corner. He says, they've set their mind on earthly things. And then he says, hey, we're not going to do that. Why? Verse 20, was it verse 20? Yeah, because our citizenship is in heaven. We're going to set our mind on heavenly things. The things of Christ, the things of, Lord, uh, of the Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so you set your mind on your relationship with heaven. This word citizenship uh, in the original language, it really means about being part of a community. And on April 4th, 1975, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, he made me a part of his community, his family. And I became a citizen of heaven. And so did you. 
And we think about this idea of citizenship. There's this deep connection to it. Citizenship communicates loyalty, allegiance, responsibility, and privilege. We are citizens of the United States of America, and I am so glad I am. I'm a citizen of heaven. And that is so much better than being a citizen of the United States of America. So much better. And so we need to set our minds on heavenly things, not earthly. And we need to build our lives on heavenly things. Now, when, you know, you've probably heard the statement about saying someone, well, you know, don't be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. All right? Well, if someone's that way, they aren't getting it anyway. Because the reality is, is all of us this week, well, I mean, I shouldn't say all of us, most of us this week have to get up and go to work, don't we? Yeah, and some of your faces are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but here, here's the truth about that. So we get up and go to work. We can get up and go to work with our mindset on earthly things, or we can get up and go to work with our mindset on heavenly things because we're citizens of heaven. And it will change the way you approach your work. It'll change the way you look at it, the way you feel about it, what you do in it. Okay? So, you see, it's not about, you know, all of a sudden we're so heavenly. With the citizens of heaven, we're going to float around on clouds. Play a little harp. No, no, heaven is more real than this place, so you know, okay? This is the shadows. That's real. But the idea, it's about this... this community, this relationship that we have with Christ. He's saying, that's what we need to set our minds on. That's what needs to govern everything that we do and why we do it and the way we do it. And so just quick examples. When we set our minds on, on heavenly things, we, we understand that time is limited and should be invested in things that matter forever. Uh, we understand that relationships are about influencing, encouraging, and helping others to know Christ and to know him better that we understand that our talents are given for the purpose of glorifying God and bring attention to Him. We understand that opportunity is to be seized for the sake of serving Christ. We understand that work is a way of bringing God's goodness to bear in our world. If you do good work that's good things, you can do it for God. So it's an opportunity to demonstrate how a person controlled by Christ interacts with the world you know, God's, the work is God's way of providing money for us to do his work. You know, not only giving, but supporting ourselves, our families, enjoying his blessings as a testimony to him. And then, of course, money and possessions, we understand, are tools entrusted to us to use for Christ. And then Paul continues this idea in verse 20, and he says, you know, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When your focus is on Christ instead of the flesh, when you're setting your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things, all of a sudden the return of Jesus Christ takes on a different feeling to you. I guarantee you when you're setting your mind on earthly things, probably the return of Christ is not a big deal. It might be on your list of things that you say you believe, but don't really. But it's on your list, and you're... you're Setting your mind on earthly things. But when you set your mind on heavenly things, all of a sudden you start to realize, wow, wait, wait. This one who loved me so much that he came to earth and into a sinful world and took my sins upon him and died for me and came to live within me when I trusted him as Savior. And he keeps working in my life. He's never let me go and he never will let me go. This one, he's coming for me. 
He's going to come for me, and he's going to come for me one of two ways. He's either going to come for me when it's my time to be done in this world, and I breathe my last, and he kind of come for me, or he's going to come for all of us one day. And I can get eager about this. Eager about it because of what he talks about in verse 21. He talks about that he's going to change me then. He's going to change this body that's so drawn to the things of this world. This flesh that always, you know, tugs at me, another mold that sticks its head up. He's going to deliver me from that. And says he's able to do it. He's going to do it. I don't know if you have ever lost a lot of weight in your life. Well, actually, we all have. We've all lost thousands of pounds, two or three at a time, right? Back and forth, back and forth. But seriously, when you lose a lot of weight, a few years ago, I did. I found it all. (laughs) But I did. I lost over 50 pounds. And you don't think about that much. You're just feeling better and good and you're bopping along. And all of a sudden one day I went and picked up a 50-pound bag of something. I went, wow, what is this? This is how much weight I lost. I couldn't believe it. It feels so heavy. Well, let me tell you, that I, I didn't notice it. Why? Because it was always with me. It's just the way it was. Always there. Never gone. But when Jesus returns for us, what we're going to discover is that we have a weight of sin that we don't even know we've been bearing. It's just there. It weighs on us and weighs on us and weighs on us. But because it's always there, we don't even, we aren't conscious of it. But when Jesus returns for us, all of a sudden that's going to be gone. And it's like, wow. I mean, isn't it going to be good not to have this struggle anymore? By the way, he can help us with it now. But what I want you to see is this. We come back down to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, so stand fast in the Lord. What I've just told you, this is how you're going to be able to stay put over here. How you're going to be able to persevere. I'm not talking about being perfect, but this becomes the growing reality in your life, that you are growing in your knowledge of Christ. He's really telling us that we have to make a daily choice about what we're going to set our minds on. Every night before you go to bed, every morning when you get up to go, you need to say, wow, wait, I need to set my mind on heavenly things. I need to set my mind on the things of Christ. But it's a conscious choice. And here's another thing that we experience. Sometimes it's not just a daily choice. It becomes a moment-by-moment choice, doesn't it? There are times in your life where it is moment-by-moment-by-moment-by-moment. But you keep doing it. You keep setting your mind on heavenly things. Because this principle is powerful and true. And this principle is that what you set your mind on is what you will build your life on. And what you build your life on today will matter forever. For good. And we're going to stop there. I think it's clear, isn't it? Clear enough? How are we going to keep going? We're going to, on purpose, stop and today set my mind on heavenly things, not on earthly. Moment by moment, if need be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, thank you for your word and how you speak to us from it. I, I know, based on what you've told us, it's true that you've spoken to us here today from your word. Your spirit has challenged us, encouraged us, taught us. I pray, Father, that we'll continue to say yes to you in those things and worship you in this way. And I pray now, Father, as we take the Lord's Supper together, that this would be another opportunity for us to very purposefully set our minds on heavenly things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.